0: May be seated. You know, it's a simple song, isn't it? Jesus loves me. It almost seems too simple, and yet that's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus loves me. We'll take a look at that truth today. As our sermon text is First Corinthians thirteen? We looked at a passage uh, out of this chapter last week when we. Look to verses 4 through 8 as part of our sermon on faith, hope, and love. But as often is the case when I'm preaching or when I'm teaching, uh, we got toward the end of the sermon and we're running out of time and had to kind of hurry through the last part, that part that was on love. And I feel like we kind of gave it short shrift. We needed to go a little bit deeper into it. If there's any portion of that triad of faith, hope, and love that we want to give extra attention to. God's word tells us it is love. Faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So follow along with me now as I read once more from the inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love... or boast it is not arrogant or rude it does not insist on its way it is not irritable or resentful it does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth love bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things love never ends as for prophecies they will pass away as for tongues they will cease So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we ask for your spirit to be at work in us. Speak to us through your word. Teach us, shape us, mold us, And most of all, cause us to love you more and more for who you are and what you have done through Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. So here's my question for you. If I could tell you that you could have talent, beauty and riches, would you rather have it or not? It's a pretty simple question. I think... Most of us would say, all other things being equal, yeah, I'll take it. Talent, beauty, riches, all kinds of giftedness, that would be wonderful. It would be easy for us to think that, that because those are the things that we tend to value, that those are the things that God tends to value, that those are the things that he most wants in his people, those are the people that he would most want to use is those people who have those things but but giftedness does not necessarily correlate to importance in God's economy. He's not looking necessarily for the smartest, strongest and best. He's looking for the foolish that he might be shown to be wise. He is looking for the weak that he might be shown to be strong. He is looking for the least that he might be shown to be best. All that being said, there is one thing that he is certainly looking for in us. He wants us to exhibit this and to do it greatly. That one thing is love. And so today we're going to take a look at love. We're taking a look at love from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that familiar passage of scripture that deals with love and I want to look specifically today at three things about love from this chapter I want to look at its mandate its meaning and its mission its mandate its meaning and its mission you see it it doesn't really matter what gifts we have what gifts we use and how we how we execute them if we do not have love, God's word tells us that it is all useless. You see, you can, you can even have the greatest of theological constructs. You can have figured out your theology down to the jot and tittle, and you have everything figured out perfectly, and you understand it better than anybody else in the whole church. But if you are lacking in love, it's useless. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1 tells us knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now, that's not to say we should go about in ignorance, not caring at all about knowledge, not, not wanting to gain a deeper understanding. That's certainly not how we should be, but our knowledge must be wed with Love. They must be bound together, one with another. Ephesians 4.15 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. I think it's so crucially important to how we live out life as the church. It says this, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. You notice what he says there? He says, speaking the truth in love. It's my assessment of the situation that most churches swing to one side or to the other, speaking the truth or speaking in love. It seems that far too often in the evangelical church, our tendency is to gravitate toward that truth end. We want to have all the all the details lined up, everything figured out, have right doctrine, sound doctrine, understanding all the truths that the Bible says. And that's a good thing to want those. But sometimes we divorce it from that idea of love. And you can understand why. There's kind of a pendulum swing usually. That's how things work, not just in this area, but really in every area. We, we see an error some way, and and we want to get as far from that error, so we swing in the opposite direction. So perhaps we look at a church that that is all about this love and kindness to each other, but really doesn't care at all about right, sound doctrine. And so we we say, no, you need to have sound doctrine, and we, we swing toward that end, but we let go of the love in practice that is so evident there. And so... We see here in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul talks about love and its necessity for the church. That's why I talk about first the mandate of love. Because that's what we have here. It's a a mandate. The word mandate, I looked up a definition. It's defined as such an official order or commission to do something. We are told to love. We are commissioned to love. We are Ordered to love. You might recall from past Maundy Thursday services, we've talked about it, the Latin word mandatum, which is where we get the word Maundy for Maundy Thursday. It's because on that night, Jesus gave a new command, a new mandate, a new order to his disciples. On, On that night, as he was about to be betrayed, as he was about to lay down his life to be beaten and crucified in the most humiliating and ignominious and painful of ways imaginable, what was it that he said to his disciples but this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. The clock was ticking. Jesus was running out of time. You know, when you're in a situation like that, sometimes you have to forsake the good for the best, right? You have to make sure you get the most important things done, even if there's other important things to do. And what was it that Jesus chose to talk about on that occasion? He could have gone into doctrinal statements. He could have talked about the tulip. He could have talked about the solas. He could have gone into the mystery of the trinity he could have talked about the hypostatic union he could have gone into all of these deep theological truths but what he chose to tell his disciples was this you must love one another it seems that jesus thought that love was pretty central to his mission and it ought to be pretty central to what we are doing as well. Remember, here in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, Paul has been talking about spiritual giftedness. And here at the beginning of chapter 13, he refers to, to speaking in tongues and, and languages, not only of men, but the languages of angels. And he, he talks about these things. And, and he says that even if you could speak in these ways, if you have not love, It doesn't matter. It's empty, meaningless, noise. In verse 2 he brings up a couple other examples. He talks about the gift of prophecy or having understanding into mysteries and and having faith that will actually move mountains. He says if you have all of these things and have not love, it's meaningless. It's nothing. It's worse than nothing. It's, It's like a a clanging cymbal or a noisy gong. It's just noise. He's not saying it's like a, a really nice drum solo. <laughs> no, it's just this percussive messiness. It's kind of like the other day we were, we were in a parking lot and a car over in the parking lot behind us had the car alarm going off. Don't you hate that when you're there? That, and there was nobody nearby, nobody to, to turn it off and it just kept going louder and kept going and going and going. Or even worse is when it happens in the middle of the night and wakes you out of your sleep and, and there's a car outside. And wah, 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 wah. Oh, yeah, exactly. You get the idea. It's annoying. It's just noise with no redeeming characteristics to it whatsoever. That's what Paul says we are like if we are excessively and exceedingly gifted and we can do all of these things but have not love, you're just noise. Useless. You can know all the rules. You can follow all the rules. Do everything just right. If you do it without love, people aren't going to look at you and say, wow, look at that guy. He does a great job following all the rules. No, they'll look at you and say, boy, that guy sure is annoying. You know, it's not just people who say that, it's God. That's what he's saying to us here. If you think you gain something by loveless Rule keeping, Paul has this to say to you in verse 3. He says, If I give away all that I have and deliver my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing. These are the type of people I think that Jesus was talking about in Matthew 7 toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The type of people that I hope we are not. He said, Matt, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven on that day on on that day of judgment he says on the day of judgment many will say to me Lord, Lord did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and then I will declare to them I never Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's kind of scary. We need to love so that we are not like those people who the Lord will say, Depart from me, I never knew you. For if we know the love of Christ, we will love as he has loved us. That's what we read earlier, wasn't it? We love him because he first loved us. We'll love others because he has shown us that kind of love. You know, when I was in St. Louis recently on vacation, we went to the Muni. It's a big theater that we love to go to, an outdoor theater. We saw a show there. It's, it's a stage. A, it's the size almost of a football field, and, and it seats 11,000 people. It's this gigantic amphitheater. It's the actually the the largest and oldest outdoor musical theater in America, and and it's it's a fun thing to take the family to. We went and saw this show there, and and one of the neat things about it is the sets. The sets are just so big and so beautiful, and they have, you know, not just like a, a table and a couple other things here, but but they're able to do like like giant cities with all these buildings. Everything And actually, a friend of mine from, from grade school and high school, her, her husband is actually in charge of designing these sets. And it's really neat that he does these, these miraculous things. It's just beautiful. It, you see this, this whole city comes alive because of the staging that's there. But you know what happens if you get up close and you go behind stage? You realize that those aren't buildings. It's just plywood <laughs> with paint on it. And as artistically well done as it is it's just a facade. And that's how we can be at times. If we exhibit all holiness and righteousness and follow all the rules and 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 use all of our gifts and do all of these things but have not love it's just a facade that we have in front of ourselves. We can look like the most spiritual of people from all outward appearances and still be lacking love. If you regularly do charitable and philanthropic work, but, but do it only to receive the applause of others, or, or perhaps do it only out of a sense of duty, or perhaps do it only because you think that you somehow, by doing this, earn God's blessing... Don't kid yourself. Though others might benefit from your work, these are not acts of love. They're acts of selfishness. And if you're coming to church or even reading your Bible with the hopes that somehow you might impress God by these things and earn his favor, I just tell you don't be silly. How small is your God that you can twist his arm behind his back like that? God demands far more from you than that. He demands your perfection, your holiness. And anything short of that will leave him thoroughly unimpressed. Which means he's thoroughly unimpressed by us all. Because there's not one of us who is perfect. And so we have this mandate here that that we love. And just in case we don't know exactly what that means, Paul tells us, verses four through seven, the meaning of love. We often get the meaning of love wrong. We think about love in terms of romanticism, right? Like you might see in a, a paperback novel or in some movie in Hollywood. We think that's what love is, or or perhaps we think of that emotion that we feel from deep inside of our hearts and. and I'm not saying these are not real things necessarily, but they're not what the Bible is talking about here when it it talks about love. The Greek word agape, uh, the kind of love that we are to have as the church, as those who are disciples of Christ, those who are following him. The kind of love we're supposed to have is that love that we see here in verse four. Love is patient and kind. The idea here is putting up with actual injuries that have been done to you. and Being patient being kind. You've suffered offenses at the hands of others, but you show them kindness in return. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own ways. You see, each of these deal with the negatives of self-centeredness. It says it's not these ways. It's not self-centered. It is looking out for others it's not irritable or resentful. It could be translated as not provoked, or thinks no evil. So the idea of not being provoked—it's when someone does something to you, you're not just immediately wanting to retaliate. You're not pushed to just say, "I, I need to get back at them." And this idea of thinking no evil or not being resentful it's not reckoning evil to people not counting their evil against them it's the same word that that god uses actually the, the greek word lagizomai when when talking about a calculation or a reckoning when he says in 2 corinthians 5:19 he says god was in christ jesus reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them not reckoning their trespasses to them, not counting their sins against them. So it is that that is true love, not counting others' sins against them. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It grieves over the the sins that humans commit, not from a selfish perspective, but just realizing that God is offended and God should be exalted it's constantly searching for the good the true the beautiful and others love bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things when it says bears all things it could just as easily have been translated covers all things and that indeed is what first what Peter tells us in first Peter 4 8 love covers a multitude of sins it does it in our lives when when we love others and that love covers a multitude of sins it it covers over it, and it's as if they're not there but even more poignantly and more importantly that is the case with Christ Jesus who died for our sins who shed his blood who paid our penalty and in so doing his righteousness covers our sin so that when God looks upon us he sees not the filth and the ugliness of our sin, but rather the beauty and the glory of a holy Christ who stands between us and him. He has done this because of his love for us. He loves us, and his love covers a multitude of sins. And so we too should love with a love that covers the sins of others against us. Love believes all things. It's not saying it's gullible, but rather that love is full of faith, believing the best, trusting that God is working through all things, even through difficult times, even through the sins of others against us. Love is full of belief and it hopes all things. Just like we said last week, hope is not just a a wish upon a star, but it's a confident expectation. So when we say hope believes all things and, and hopes all things, we're talking about faith and hope, right? Those other two things that went with love last week. It's about faith, hope, and love, and how they're bound together. And then Paul finishes this section by saying love endures all things. It endures all things. It stands strongly, not just not just absorbing those things that come its way, but but willing to stand in the face of opposition, willing to endure and not be overwhelmed, willing to manfully stand up and play its part, as one commentator put it, in the face of difficulties. This is the meaning of love, the kind of love that Jesus calls his disciples to. It's not just a feeling, but it's an action it's something we need to be, be doing, not just feeling. And it's something that should be present in the midst of the church at all times. We should be willing to forgive one another. We should be willing to say, even though I've been wronged, I will not reckon that sin against them. It should be willing to say, I will love in a way that covers over those sins. Who is there in your life that has wronged you? Who is there in your life that has done you harm? Not just imaginary harm, not just tried to, but but really harmed you. And how can you love them with the kind of love that Christ has shown you? Love that will cover over that sin. Love that will bring forgiveness. This is important because of the mission of love. You see, In closing, the mission of love, it might seem at first, is directed toward those who we would love, right? Because they're the ones that benefit. If I love somebody, if I cover over their sins, if I forgive them, then then they're the ones that benefit, right? That's what it would seem at first. But I'm going to argue from this text here that the mission of love is such that that love ultimately has as much, if not more, to do with how it affects the one who is doing the loving than it does with the one being loved. Because to show love is to be a reflection of the one who is true love. Love never ends, we read in verse 8, as for prophecies they'll pass away, as for tongues they will cease, as for knowledge it'll pass away, for we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. It's kind of like we said in our study of Hebrews, remember? We talked about all the signs and the shadows and the pictures of of what was going to be the ultimate reality of Christ Jesus and how we need those no longer. They've passed away because we have the real thing. Why why have a picture when you have the substance in Christ Jesus? And that's what they're saying here. We, We have the reality of love in Christ Jesus. These other things will pass away ultimately. But love, true love... Love in the person of Christ will endure forever and ever. Behold, Paul writes in First Corinthians 15, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. John speaks about this change in 1 John 3 2, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, as when Christ appears at the second coming, we shall be like him. Why? Because we shall see him as he is see our our vision of Christ now is still somewhat obscured we don't see him quite like he is it says in verse 12 we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face now I know in part then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known you see it talks about this mirror and we might think of of the mirror we have up in the bathroom or on the back of our bedroom door or maybe maybe in our uh, rearview mirror in our car we think of these mirrors and we we see them and, and things are clear in there but but an ancient mirror would not have been like that right it, it would have been kind of a smoky picture where it's distorted and obscured and 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 you can see an image of yourself in this mirror as you look in it but it it's not a clear image at all and and what we're saying here is because of our sin because of our our temporal nature because of our our lack of so many things. We do not see Christ as he truly is, but on that day that he returns, all of those things will be stripped away and we will see him face to face as he truly is and seeing him face to face will change us. The mere observation of him in his holiness and his glory and his beauty will make us different. And if we know that's going to happen eventually, then why would we not want to live that way now? See, the whole maturity process demands that. Paul writes in verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child when I became a man. I gave up childish ways. He's saying, see, I'm progressing, I'm growing, I'm moving toward maturity and so too we should move toward maturity. And if we will one day live a life of perfect love, why not move in that direction? Now, let us grow in our love, motivated by the love that Christ has shown us. You see, it's not a matter of just saying, I need to love, I need to follow the rules, I need to do it, I need to do it. I... No. Meditate on what he has done for you. Meditate on the fact that he who sat at the right hand of God Almighty for all of eternity, the one who is God, by whose words the entire universe leapt into being, decided to take on human flesh that he might be crucified for you. You I'm reminded of an episode of the Brady Bunch, if you remember the old TV show. Peter on the Brady Bunch, the middle son, pretty sure it was Peter, In this one episode, was at a toy store at the beginning of the episode and saw this little girl who was reaching for something on a shelf and she tried to climb up on the shelf and and the shelf started to fall and he ran in and grabbed her and swept her out of the way of this shelf as it tumbled down and would have surely maimed her, if not killed her, if it had fallen on her. And he saved her and he was the hero. And this child's parents said to him, whatever you want... Pick anything from the store, as much as you'd like. We will buy it for you, because you have saved our daughter's life. You see, it it wasn't a matter of them feeling like, oh, man, he saved her. Now we really owe him. Man, okay, pick something out, uh, you know, because we really owe it to you now. and, And we'll get past this part this hardship of having to do this for you. No! They said, whatever you want, as much as you want, there's there's nothing you could ask for that, that would extend beyond how very much we want to give you now. Because you have brought life where there would have been death. If that is true of Peter Brady, And a toy store shelf. How much more is it true of Christ Jesus? Who brought life where there was death to us. Death that was sure. Death that was ours by rights. Death that he took upon himself. Crushed by that shelf himself. So that we might live. Let us cling to that truth. And as we cling to that truth, meditate on that truth, know that truth by faith, it will change us. It will cause us to love both him and others. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let us pray. Our Lord, we just ask that you would teach us to love. Teach us to love. Teach us to love. We fail so miserably. Even with those we want to love, even those that we we care about the most, we fail so miserably. Show us your love. Cause it to root itself deep in our heart that it might Grow and grow and grow and spring forth in our lives that we might love others as you have loved us. By the power of Christ Jesus, through his spirit that dwells in us, we ask it in his name. Amen.